0: Let's dig in for context sake. I'm going to read verses uh 1 chapter 4 verse 1 through it looks like 10. And then we'll pick it up in verse 4. You guys there? Amen. Yeah. Amen. All right. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Yet you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Verse 4, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God, resist the proud and give grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. Amen? Amen? All right. All right. So here we go. You guys ready? Yes. Amen. All right. So verse 4. adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's the first verse we start off with this morning. It's like, man, this is tough. So that verse, I want you to get it. It's got two parts to that verse we got to attack both parts to really understand, okay? The first part is adulterers and adulteresses, and that's where we're going to start. Um, I want to start with some definitions, okay? Because sometimes I don't know that we all know what adultery really is. We hadn't really thought it through. So first, fornication means sexual intercourse between people not married to each other. Everybody buy that? All right. Adultery means voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and a person who is not his or her spouse. Don't look at me like that. I need smiles, all right? (laughs) Seriously, you're gonna have to help me through this. All right, so let's look at marriage. What is marriage? I You usually say marriage is a man and a woman, right? That's what, not usually, that's what it is. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But I I want you to get what the the biblical picture of marriage really is, okay? We need to to understand that, or I believe that the rest of chapter 4 won't really—you'll read it and you'll get it, but you won't, like, you won't get it. And he says this for a reason. He's just not—this is not, like, biblical slang. He's painting a picture. So I want you to understand, and if anybody has, like, shake your head no if you can't buy this, but Adam— is a picture of Christ. He's a picture of the head of the home. Yes, you guys are, you guys are bobbing. Yes, he's a picture of the, the head of the home. Adam is a picture of Christ. Eve then is a picture of the church, right? And when Adam and Eve, when they come together for intimacy, he places his seed in the woman, and she multiplies that seed. Not much different than, the, than, than Christ, places his spirit in us and through uses us to dare multiply, right? And so from that, you will say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, God likes a godly offspring. That is the only pur- purpose for intimacy. I would argue that you don't get pregnant every time you're intimate, right? And intimacy, but the, the highest levels of intimacy between a man and a woman, a married man the married woman in that same marriage, right? I just got to be clear. It's weird that you got to be that clear now, right? But in the, in, the, in the circle of the marriage union, those two together, when they come together, it's a blessing from the Lord. And it shows, it's a picture of how good it is for the Christ to be with the church. You guys follow? Yes. All right. So there must be a larger picture here. And I want to get that picture across to you guys. I want you guys to really understand it. So I figure let's look at some stereotypes and kind of put them to bed. Those, so these are like stereotypes, generalities, right? I'm not picking on any one person in here. This is not an example of my marriage. But I think you guys will find some truths in it. It's going to help somebody. That's, that's the point. All right. So when we, when, when we look at almost any TV show, like the world almost always teaches that you see, when you see a, uh, you, you rarely see a regular marriage nowadays at all, but when you do see it, the husband's always going after the wife and the wife is always saying no, right? She's like always beating him down with a stick. He wants to get after it and, and she's like, no, I don't got time for you. Yes, <laughs> we see that often. That's, that's often what it is. I would say that the biblical picture is nothing like that. It's nothing like that. You guys are very quiet. The husband's passion for intimacy with his wife is not much different than the Lord's passion to be intimate with his church. So, guys, I'm going to throw you a bone here, right? How often would you hear or would you think that you said, Lord, I want to be intimate with you, And the Lord says, no, I don't want to be intimate with you. Never. Like, it's funny that most of the women say never. Speak up real quick. Never. The Lord always wants to be intimate with me. Why would you shame your husband for always wanting to be intimate with you then? That's his role. He wants to be close to you. He wants to be. God has put that in him. Now, husbands, I'm saying that don't pervert it. Don't take advantage of that. But also, don't let the world tell you that your desire for your wife is wrong. God put that in you because it's a picture of how he longs and cleaves and wants to be with us. Most husbands, anytime they don't want to be intimate with their wife is that they're either unhealthy or sick, right? They don't feel good or they're dead. <laughs> well, the only two options I know. <laughs> but they want to be with their wives. Now, uh, a group of us, a long time ago, we were getting together and we were talking about this. So husbands, you, you always want to be intimate with your wife, and you, you want to get together, and you want to be with her. And from time to time, in almost every marriage, I think it's pretty normal that there's these dry spells where the intimacy is not there. So I want to submit to you this. I want to say, when you find that your wife is not being intimate with you, before you get after her about it. You need to ask yourself, well, how often have I been intimate with God? And there might be a correlation between the two. Right? If you sp- and I'm not talking about that. let's talk about real intimacy, right? So, and the husbands might get this a little bit more than the, it's on the for uh, Uh-oh. <laughs> so we don't need we don't need serious advice. <laughs> All right. So intimacy is not a checkbox, right? As a husband, how would you feel if your wife just said, hey, you need to be, you need to be intimate. Let's go ahead and take care of it, right? That's not it. That's not what, that's not what husbands truly desire. They really desire intimacy whether they like it or not because God put, us, put that into us. But likewise, when you go to be intimate with the Lord, don't just check the box. Don't just say, hey, I read the scripture today. I'm good. Would you want that? No. You want true intimacy. You know what that feels like. Embrace it. Amen? You still with me? Likewise, wives, and I tried to make this as soft as possible, but there's no way to get around it. All right? Husbands, have my back here, all right? I need y'all to at least say, "Mm -hmm." mm-hmm. You don't have to say amen, but at least, at least. Wives. There you go. (laughs) There you go. Now, the church should want to be with, 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 with the bridegroom, right? The bride wants to be with the bridegroom. We long for the bridegroom. Wives, I want you to remember how it was when you were newlyweds. How often were you intimate with your husbands, right? Where was that passion, that wanting to dig, right? How often does that not sound like the walk of a believer, right? You get on fire for the Lord. You're in the word all the time. You're digging in. It's very intimate. But then you kind of, well, I get to it. Get to it when I want to. Is your marriage like that? Because your marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. So, you don't, so your, your spiritual life, plus you're digging in intimacy, and you're and you, and you clowning your husband. But then in your marriage life, they don't match. Does that make sense? Yeah. <sighs> mm. All right, number two. That also sounds like the church in general, right? The church in general kind of can take God or leave it, right? A lot of wives say, like, if you get them alone, this is stereotypical. There's no wives that I know ever. But some wives somewhere say, I can take sex or leave it. I don't really need it. That's pride. Your marriage needs it. Your marriage needs intimacy. I don't want to say that. I'm not trying to get y'all to do anything weird or anything like that. But your marriage needs intimacy, you also hear, well, hey, no, think about this. You also hear, we just did it like last week, last month, last, last whenever. I don't need to be intimate again. I just gave you what you needed. Right? That's not right. How often do you come into the, if you're the picture of the church, God wants to be intimate with you all the time. Your husband wants to be intimate with you all the time. It's a reason why he put that together. It's so that no rift will come between you guys. Amen? Y'all better smile. Somebody smile. Come on. (laughs) Amen? All right. The last one for the wives is uh, think about saying this to God. I think we do say this to God. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting my analogies mixed up. I don't know what's going on here. If you don't give me what I want, dishes, whatever it is, affection, then I won't give you what, what you want. Quick, I don't know the word for it, but you get what I'm saying. Say it. So you, you had it? Yeah, that's not it either. <laughs> All right. Because sometimes we treat God like that. Men, now, when we look at the church, men, you're involved in this too. Don't think that on the, on the spiritual side, we say the same thing like, Lord, if you don't give me what I want, I'm not going to give you what you want. If you don't like it from your wife, don't do it to God. Right? At one point we had a challenge. I think that every man in our men's group said, he said, hey, look, before being intimate with your wife, how about you both being intimate with the Lord? Because from a a practical standpoint, I'm going to be honest with you guys, some of you need to leave here right now, go home, and have sex. That's real. I didn't want to say that. I prayed about it. I was like, I do not want to say that in front of people. I do not want to say that. But the the real thing is, some of you guys need to go home and repair the rift that's in your marriage. You You need to come together and not worry about anything. Like, who cares about whatever? It doesn't matter. The Lord does not care about whatever when you're coming to Him. Neither should you guys. If your marriage is a biblical marriage and you're you're saying that before God, we got married, and we're going to honor God. And, our, and, and this is a picture of your relationship with the church. What could come between that? And watch him work. Watch, but you're choosing to be separate. But then it's only like the only reason I can think of is because of pride, bitterness, things of that nature. You guys should be smiling. That's a good thing. Everybody's frowning. I just told you to go home and have sex. There you go, right? All right, so you can agree with me or you could disagree with me. But one thing we just did is we developed the picture, right? You understand the picture of what marriage is and how that looks from a biblical standpoint. Now, getting a picture, let's let's not forget the definition of adultery voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and a person who is not his or her spouse. This is voluntary. So now that we got the picture, whether you agree or not, you need to understand that what James is saying is when he says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Understand that when you choose the world, it is akin to the wife choosing another spouse, choosing someone who is not our spouse. That's the real picture that I want want you to get. When you voluntarily go um, and sin, you are choosing to be satisfied by somebody who is not your spouse. That's the picture that's being painted. You got to understand from God's perspective, imagine this, imagine you are the spouse. Men, imagine you're the spouse. And from God's perspective, he has to watch you choose to be with another man, right? He has to go with you when you choose to be with another man. And then he has to get you out of that funk when you've been with that other man habitually. How would you feel if you had to watch? Now, for women, it's the opposite, right? But if you had to watch your spouse do that, what would that do to you? That's what friendship with the world looks like. You guys understand? So verse 5 says this. Or do you think the scripture says in vain, the spirit dwells in us the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. That verse makes a lot more sense now, doesn't it? Right? Most of you guys flip out if your spouse talks to an attractive person from the opposite sex. God is saying that not only is he watching you, but he's watching you voluntarily court a mate that says, you know, when, full, when sin's full grown, or desires full-grown as sin, sins full-grown as death. What, what you're dating instead of the Lord, what you're filling yourself instead of the Lord, is telling you, "I want to kill you." It's like someone telling you, "Like I'm going to take your wife, I'm going to have her, I'm going to humiliate you, and then I'm going to kill her afterwards." And your wife's like, "Hey, that's cool." How would that tear you? Like, what would you think? You get that opportunity every time you have the opportunity to either choose the Lord or choose something else. It's not a game. It breaks his heart every time. But Look at verse six. Look at verse six. If you're not smiling when you look at verse six, look at it harder. It says, but he gives more grace. What? That makes absolutely no sense to me. This is the most filthiest, most nastiest thing adultery is, the most, the most betrayal. It says, but yet he gives more grace. Praise God. How much grace do you give to your spouse because they didn't do the dishes or they yelled at you? Meanwhile, you're receiving all of this grace from the Lord who's catching you in whatever filth you're in. And desperately trying to pull you out. The rest of that verse says, um, God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Right? And I I wanted to project that. But just looking at that, that start of adultery, how can we be proud? We've all played the harlot. We've all... Uh, we've all fallen short, right? So no one has, we don't have room to really be proud of, if anything. We need to present ourselves humble before the Lord so that he could lift us up, right? I mean, I I hate to say this, but the picture is like when you come before the Lord, we've all seen this, hey, Lord, I have turned my back on you. Even like, so a lot of times we say, well, in my BC days, I did it, Right. right? But I'm saying today you did it. Today you did something where you need to be like, Lord, I didn't mean it. Or I did mean it. Take it from me. Help me. Right? We got to be honest, but we can't be proud. There's, there's no space for boasting. Verse 7. Right, we're going to kind of move away from that, all right? You guys can smile again. Everybody can, can look look up. Don't look down. <clears throat> Verse 7, it says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, right? And so you always hear, like, this saying, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, right? You always hear that. And um, have you ever seen somebody, and you can pick whatever, I can give you a sports analogy or, or anything, but you ever seen somebody who's, like, a master at something, like a really good master at whatever it is, and they do something, and it's, like, super easy, and then you try to do it and it's horrible. <laughs> right? It could be like an artist drawing or really good guys to watch are carpenters, right? They'll cut that line straight, hang something up, level it up. Every nail they drive, they set the nail and then they drive it. Masters at what they do. And then you go and do it and it's crooked, it's not level. Tap, 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 tap. Right? You're hitting your thumb, you got you got bruises. So let let's talk about that. Because a lot of times, um, can you put that Romans verse up, Romans 7? It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But you feel like this, where it says, um, for what I am doing, I do not understand. (laughs) For what I do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do. But sin that dwells in me, that does it, right? So sometimes you feel more like that. Then let's resist the devil and flee. So um, the best picture I can think of this is uh, you could pick whoever, whatever heavyweight boxer. I think the first one was Muhammad Ali. I'm gonna pick Mike Tyson. So you, you guys get the picture. Everybody who knows who Mike Tyson is here, right? All right. So Mike Tyson for years, <clears throat> I guess in the '90s, he would. Uh, he would have these big, like, $50 million fights, $10 million fights, whatever the big number was back in the day. And um, he would, they would open up the fight against the next heavyweight, and he would come out. He would knock the guy out in, like, 35 seconds, right? And the, over, he'd collect his $50 million or whatever his share of the $50 million was. And then he'd go home, and everybody would be like, I, did we just pay for that? <laughs> like, how do you deserve your share of the $50 million? for 13 seconds of fighting, or 35 seconds of fighting. And I think it was Muhammad Ali that said, "Um, you judge me for the the ring time, but you don't judge me for the years of practice and training and the months and months I had to do to prepare. He's like, so you're thinking that I got paid a million dollars per second or something like that. But really, I've been doing this my entire life. I've thrown away my whole life just to do this one thing. How's that work? So I figure we look at our own heavyweight fight, right? So everybody turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. You there, amen? amen. All right. And then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter, is, is, I want to start at verse 3. Now when the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of man, I'm son of God, command these stones to become bread. And he answered says, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up. Into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Verse 7. Jesus said to him, It is written, again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up and exceedingly took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give, to you, give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God. And with him only you shall serve. Here's our here's verse. Then the devil left him. And behold, the angels came and ministered to him. Right? Most of us have heard that verse, those lines of verses all the time. And we have those it is written verses. So we know to resist the devil we need to, quote, be built up, shored up in God's word. We need to understand it, how to use it. That's our weapon. However, most of us don't. We don't do that when it comes time. And the question is, why not? Why do, how does it work for Jesus? And then, because it works. It works for you even when you mess it up. But how come it's not effective all the time? Efficacy, I think, is it. How come, is it not? How come, how come you don't deploy it, is, is the question. All the time, and I think it's because um, James four seven. Because I don't want you guys turning back just quite yet, right? I think it's because the difference between like a a, a, a martial artist and like a grandmaster martial artist is the details. I think we miss a detail because everybody says resist the devil and he will flee, but the verse says therefore submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. I'm going to say it again. The verse says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. And now when you look at it in in, in that detail, you say, well, man, if I'm not submitted to God, it is very difficult for me to resist the devil. Right? It's hard to just pull a verse out your back pocket when you're drunk. You can. Sometimes he gives you that. But it's hard to do, right? When you've been doing the thing over and over and over and over and over again, it's become a practice. It's become a lifestyle. It's hard for that verse to show up on a song. Look at Jesus here. Um. So if you pull all the way back to before verse three in chapter four, so let's look at thirteen. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan. Why? To be baptized. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said, Permit it to be so, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. Look at verse 17. You can just pull your eyes down. It says, And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So guys, I want you to understand, like the Lord is already pleased with him. He's being baptized. When I look at this in this context, in the context of what we're we're teaching, what we're talking about today. Jesus has already lived a righteous lifestyle, right? He submitted chronically to the Lord. So, uh, Chronic means it's happening over and 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 over over again. He's already submitting to his father as a lifestyle, right? No ministry has has even started, and the father is saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. How could that be? That's because he's already, he's living it now. So then if you go down to verse 4, it says, verse I mean, not verse four, I'm sorry. Chapter four, verse one, it says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And what did he do? And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry. He was hungry. But the point is, that's more, it's it's something slightly different. That's an acute obedience and submission. The spirit asked him to then go and do something. He went and did it and submitted himself to the 40 days of fasting. So before he resisted the devil, this is our heavyweight champion of the universe, right? He had a lifestyle of submitting to the Lord, and then he had an acute submission to the Lord. He had no friendship with the world. And because of that, he could answer him not in his deity, but as a man. He can give us that example. But don't miss the details. Don't miss the whole Example here. You guys follow that? Yes. All right. Oh, I lost my place. I'm sorry. Back in James, let's. Uh, it looks like we're going to have to stop here. Oh, well, we'll go a little further. Verse 8 <clears throat> says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So I've got another verse of Psalms 14, 2 and 3. <clears throat> it says that this is like one of my favorite verses. I take it out of context all the time. If you want to know what Psalms 14, you have to read it for yourself. This is like one of the, the verses that I steal kind of just for me. You know, I don't really care nothing else about, nothing about it. I just, I take it for me because I need it. This says, the Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there's any who understand, who seek God. And what I get from that, the way it blesses me is that I know that the master of the universe is looking down, wanting to know who is trying to seek me. And if he's doing that and I trust him, I know that he'll find me in my time of trouble. I know that he's he's looking for me and saying, hey, if Davon is seeking me, he sees it. It doesn't go unseen, right? Like sometimes as a parent, I don't always get to my kids when they need me. I want to be all the time, but I'm not God. Well, he is God. So this verse really helps me understand that, hey, um, the Lord is looking for me. Just wanted to share that with you. Um, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Let's qualify that. Who does it say can draw near to God? Doesn't say anything, right? It Doesn't qualify at all. So from that, you would assume that anybody could draw near to the Lord. Um, what kind of sin can you be in? to draw near to God any sin this is the this is the fun one here how long do you have to wait after you sin to draw near to God is it a but think about it. I, I'm gonna read these and I want you to think about when you sin it's easy to say the end, but think about it Do you need to wait a minute an hour a day a week? A month? How long do you actually wait? When you mess up bad, whatever your mess up is, how long does it take for you to come back to the Lord, to draw near to him? He didn't move. You walked away. How long does it take? So someone I really uh, dearly respect, they gave me some advice. <clears throat> I'm going to share it with you guys. It says the maturity of a Christian is how quickly they can fall and get their eyes back on the Lord. Right? That's the game. You're going to fall. You're going to need to get back up. You're going to need to get your eyes immediately. Honestly, hate to use the athlete, but most any sport, when you fall, the first thing you do is pick your head up. You should be looking for him while you're still on the ground. Your eyes should be locked back in on him. You know how receivers catch the ball? They don't ever take their eyes off of it. They be upside down, sideways. Drug across them, they don't care. Because the whole objective is to keep the eye where it needs to be. And that's how we should be. Verses 9 and 10. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So this verse gets a little weird unless you remember the picture of adultery. He just called you an adulteress, right? It's like lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter remember when you're in your sin, you enjoy it. I hate to say that, right? But you sin because you want to. We covered that in in the first, like when we first started. Your desire is for the sin, So turn that laughter in the morning, turn your joy in the gloom, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. That's the promise. That's the true, that's where the true joy comes from. I mean, think about anybody who used to be something, right? We always hear a testimony of somebody who used to be like a murderer or used to be this or used to be that, and we're amazed. And think about how much joy they have. Um, matter of fact, on the way here, I talked to someone who was an adulterer and had been betrayed at the same time. Like, it went both ways for that person, right? And he said, because the Lord had brought me through, he talked about it with joy. He shared his testimony. He was looking to help others. So that's where the true joy comes from, is that being brought through that thing had been cleaned up and then have the testimony that you can build someone else up with for it. But first, you have to do this lament Mourn, weep, let your laughter return. You know, this is a lot of words to say, hey, repent. Never want to do the thing again. Don't fill yourself up with that thing. Fill it up with your true bridegroom who's Christ. All right, give me some more time, guys. Verse eleven. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. So I think a couple of weeks ago we talked about I am statements, right? You say the Lord says I am that I am. And we better watch how we refer to ourselves because we're made in God's image. So we shouldn't say I am stupid, I'm ugly, I'm tired. You guys remember that? Well, likewise, you shouldn't superimpose an iron statement on anybody else. We shouldn't speak evil of others because you gotta know. As I mean, we're believers. We understand that the Lord's thoughts towards us are good. His desire is for everyone to come to Him. Right. So just because you someone. Even an unbeliever says something bad to you and he says, oh, that guy's a jerk. Well, that's not the Lord's will for that person to be a jerk. That's not the Lord's will for that person to be whatever you think they are. Who are you? The Lord's will is to to bring that person into the fold and make them 100% useful for the Lord, for the body. So when you speak ill or down on someone, you really are contradicting God's plan for their life. Why would you want to put yourself on the side of that? It's extremely difficult. I'm sure, I, no, I, no, I'm sure, I know 100% I've done it this week. But it's wrong. We shouldn't even play like that. And I love it because you get, um, you really see it, to be honest with you, and grandmothers. Like, grandmothers never say anything bad about anybody. And I love it. It's because they've learned this lesson that just took a long time. (laughs) All right. um, And then I just want to remind you that these laws are that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second law is just uh, love your neighbor as yourself. If they're not your neighbor, you should be seeking for them to be your neighbor. Like if you say, oh, they've gone, an unbelievers not. Well, the purpose is to, to try to win them over for the Lord. So you can't try to win somebody over in the Lord, not being like the Lord. That doesn't make any sense. So let's not do it. All right, let's talk about judgment. This verse talks about judgment, let's talk about judgment. I just want to say this. We are not to judge condemnation. Right, I have no idea who's a believer and who's not. I can judge the fruit, I can see, right, but I don't know where the where the Lord has that person, right? How much they moved them? Maybe that person's a Christian. They're just going. They're backslidden. They need some help. It's hard to know that. I'm not that smart. I don't even remember what I had to eat yesterday, let alone somebody's eternal salvation. But I don't want you to take this verse. I don't want you to take this verse to mean that we cannot judge right and wrong. We are the only people qualified to judge right and wrong. That's it. And that's because, not because, like, we're super smart, because we have the hidden treasures of the Word that guide us in what's right and wrong. This is the standard. So, like, if you're in a room but you don't read your Bible, you don't know. I'm going to be honest with you. Now, how do I know that? Because verse 12 says this. It says, there is one lawgiver who is able to what? Save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? The context tells me that, hey, this is talking about salvation. There's one person qualified. There's one person qualified. We've all turned aside. We've all been corrupt. There's none who is good. No, not one. That's the rest of that Psalms verse. Just remind you that is Jesus, and then everybody else. We have no way to do that, but we love judging. We like to say who's saved, who's righteous, who should be serving, who should be teaching, who should be in the nursery. We got all kind of things going on. That leads us to our next our next section. Verse thirteen. I'm, we're going to take thirteen to fifteen because these are like some fun verses here. We're try to finish the chapter. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. Instead, you all say, if the Lord's wills, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. I love this verse, and I'm kind of kicking myself that I know I've read it before, but I've never applied it probably where it was most applicable to me in my life, all right? So, because most people will say, I don't talk about going to such and such city and doing this, but let me just give you guys a, like a fun example, okay? This will be a little bit lighter, I guess. All right, so your job does this all the time, right? Right? My job always, I mean, that's, that's kind of what we do. I, I'm, a, I'm a contractor by trade, so we go to cities here or there for a year. We build stuff, and um, we want to make a profit, right? It's like exactly what this says. I'm like, this is such good bi- business advice, right? And so um, this is a uh, background. Please don't think this is bragging. I just need you guys to understand. So, like, I'm an engineer by trade, right? And so uh, I can call myself, like, a professional scheduler. Right, and so have you? Does anybody know in here? Like, just raise your hand if you know anything about predecessors, successors, critical paths, early, late starts. So your contractors raising their hand because they all know about schedules. Um, float, total float. So the people who raise their hand, you guys are likely good or professional schedulers, right? And companies, they have schedulers, you know, you get a whiteboard, you can go in, you can make up, this is exactly what we're gonna do, we're gonna do this and do this exactly, blah, 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 exactly, 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 exactly like this. And then they hire an expert scheduler to get all the schedules together and say all of this is gonna happen, this is gonna line up, this is how much we need, this is where we're going, blah, 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 this is how we're gonna implement it. I've done hundreds of those. And I can, as a professional, tell you, we have absolutely no idea. (laughs) No clue. And so when I was uh, younger, I would take, um, I had a, like a really small office. So on my office, I would hang on the wall all the schedules, right? And I would track them and y- you do like a baseline. So you could see the previous schedule and then you see like the new one. You could see how much it moved. And I would tape them over each other. So like, if, I, if, if it was month 10 out of the two year job, I could like look it up and I could see month one and I could see how different it is. So after doing that for a while, I realized. All I'm really doing is recording what's happening. <laughs> right? I mean, you guys have my back here. Am I, all we're really doing is seeing how it changed, but not so much that I had a super influence because I, I was really smart. And these, they're paying me to do this. Right? I'm not just winging it. This is my job. <laughs> I have no control over the weather, rain days. I got no control over taxes. I have no control. We had one job, uh, um, uh, a wall saw, so the blade's this big. Flung from another building, skipped, and got stuck in the other project. So I wake up in the morning, and I'm like, "Well, that's not going to work. <laughs> that's that's not it." Had another job. Wake up. My, um, I was kind of friends with the, the field supervisor. He, I, I, he was calling my boss. I said, why you call my boss and not me? What, what's going on? I'm, I'm the manager of the project. He said, man, you don't want these problems. And I said, well, I do. What's going on? He said, well, I ain't going to tell you. You need to talk to your boss. So then my boss called me. He said, Dave, I don't want these problems. Can you come help me? <laughs> and I said, well, what's going on? It's, it's 6 o'clock in the morning. And he's like, we just need to go to the job. We get to the job. FBI's there. There's a dead body in the creek. You, no control. You have absolutely no control. You can have the best software. You have the smartest people. Got no control over how it works. All right. Boss, if you heard that, please don't fire me. All right. Instead, what should you say? If the Lord wills, it says if the Lord wills, we shall live your life is not even in your hands. That's why you should go home and spend as much time with your wife as possible because your life is not in your hands. You should go home and spend as much time with your family, your children, because your life is not in your hands. But when you think about your life being in your hands, that makes you grateful for what you have. The people, not like the thing. It also makes you humble which qualifies you to be lifted up. Notice in the first sections, we will go here, we go there, blah, blah, blah. There was no regard for what the Lord, what the Lord willed. It didn't say like if the Lord willed, we do it. I just, they just said, we'll do this and that and blah, blah, blah. What I started doing is praying over my schedules because I realized I had no control. You should think about that for maybe where you live, where you work, where you eat, where you shop. Our church is a testament to that, right? We just say if the Lord wills, we'll go here, we'll go there. And the Lord moves us, and we've been successful doing that to his glory. Amen. All right, this is the last verse. Is there, are we on 17? 16. We're going we're gonna to wrap this up pretty quick. 16. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. I was like, man, what should I say here? What, how to explain this? I got two notes. When you boast, you sound like an idiot. Don't do it. Just don't do it. And some of you guys say, well, Paul said boast in the Lord. Most of us don't know how to do that right either. <laughs> teach. Was it? Simply teach the Bible simply. Simply teach the Bible. Don't overdo it. Don't try too hard. All of us are equipped enough. The Holy Spirit teaches us, don't care what your background is, simply teach the Bible simply. That's it. No boasting. Just stay away. None of us is that much of a professional to boast. All right, my favorite verse, another one that I'm gonna take wildly out of context. I don't even want to hear about it. It's like it's so I'm gonna take it so far out of context that you I'm gonna tell you now, just disclaimer, you need to figure it out for yourself. Because this is another verse that I have taken, put in my back pocket, and I use it to, as a, a get-out-of-jail-free card when I want to. So I'm going to share it the way that I use it, and then your homework is to go figure it out for yourself, pray about it, and let the Holy Spirit fix it, okay? So verse 17 says this. Therefore, to him, to know, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, it is, to him it is sin. Wow, I don't even say that right. Therefore, to him who knows to do good. And does not do it to him, it is sin. So the verse is saying, just in it's the one-liner: if you know to do good and you don't do it, it's a sin. Everybody got that? Yes. All right. So here it is. We'll we'll end with this because this is literally one of like my favorite verses or my favorite concepts. So the, a lot of people come to me with problems, or the kids come to me with problems, and I ask them one question: Who in here believes that God is omniscient? like half of y'all raised your hand. Some of you guys just won't raise your hand. I get it. All right. Who of you believe that God cannot sin? All right. So this is so fun. All right. So if God is omniscient and he cannot sin, that means he always knows the good to do in your life. Right? Because he's omniscient. He can't not know how to help you. Like, if there's a path to success, to start you on success, he would have started you there when you were, like, born. He gets it. He knows how to do it. And he has to do it because he can't sin. So whatever kind of problems you got, you need to have confidence, based on this verse alone, that you might not be working on it. But God has to be working on it right now as we speak. Otherwise... He wouldn't be God. That's all I got. Amen. Amen. All right, Heavenly Father, Lord, um, thank you for knowing the good that we need before we even know we have a problem. Lord, thank you for 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 helping us, for being our bridegroom, for making us complete in You, Lord. Thank you for teaching us, Lord. And allowing us to be a part of your ministry, Lord. Lord, I pray that this message uh, will stick with us, will equip us. Lord, I pray that when we leave, we leave our sin here and we're able to take back more ground, more souls for your kingdom, Lord. That each person in this room would um, be effective. But Lord, I also pray for each marriage in this room. Lord, that they would, that they would have sweet intimacy with each other, Lord the holding of the hands, the time together, Lord, that you would be in the midst of that, Lord, and that you would, that you would just strengthen the marriages in the church, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.